getting frazzled. I bet I can figure out this whole 20 questions thing. Can I ask just a few questions? Sure, Bluto. Hmm. Do you use it in church? Mm, oh, yes. Okay. Um, can you read it? Yes. Is it a Bible? That's the answer, I think. Is that your final answer? Mm, yeah. Well, then, yes, you're right! You win! Why, why, why does he get to win? Because I'm number one. And that reminds me that today's show is brought to you by... Why, the... why, that's my job! Today's show is brought to you by the letter one. Oh, no. No, 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 the number one. No, no, it's not a number. It's a letter. And it's not a one. It's an I. I? Why? But it looks just like a one. Hi, guys. Hi, Mark! I just won the game. I guessed the answer right. It was Bible. Good job. Yeah, good for you, Bluto. Actually, everybody's going to need their Bibles today because I'm going to be talking about the Bibles. In fact, it's time for me to start my talk right now. So if you will, take your Bibles and turn to Mark. I mean the book of Mark. Oh. <laughs> I was just cutting up with the guys. Really need the book of Psalms. We're in, we're in a series right now called 08 Success Street. And of course, it's a brand new year. It's 2008. Eight in the Bible is the number of new beginnings. Now, I don't know about you, but I could stand a new beginning. I get to the end of the year, and I think about the ways that I've failed in the previous year, and so that leads me to make New Year's resolutions. And I, I want this new beginning in my life. And the great thing about God is that God will give you a new beginning. Um, I've thought this so many times. I love so many things about God, but the thing I love best about Him is that He will truly let you start over. Well, you know, when you watch Sesame Street... And a lot of us grew up with Sesame Street. Our kids grew up with Sesame Street. You know, I, I watched, you know, the show, and I would hear the little song at the, at the beginning of the end of the show, and there'd be that little lyric, you know, can you tell me how to get, how to get to Sesame Street? Well, we don't want to get to Sesame Street. We want to get to Success Street. We want to be real successes. And the question is, how do we get to success in the Christian life? Um, it's important for us that we define it, isn't it? isn't it? Because in our culture today, success is often defined by how much money you have. But how many of us know people who have a lot of money, and there's nothing wrong with having money, but how many of us know people who have a lot of money that we would look at and we would say, that person doesn't look like a success to me? Or some people define success by fame, having others pay attention to you because you're a movie star or a professional athlete. And yet, you know, <laughs> the tabloids exist because... People who often are famous aren't successes. What is success? I believe success is getting to a serious juncture in your life, or maybe even coming to the end of your life and looking back on your life and saying, you know what, I'm glad for the way I live my life. My grandfather was dying when I was a teenager. I think I was about 14. And for many years, my grandfather had not followed God closely. But toward the end of his life, he had really gotten close to God. And, and to be honest with you, the only grand, grandpa I remember was really a committed follower of Jesus. But, but prior to that, he, he hadn't followed the Lord. And he got sick, and he was dying. He was in his mid-60s. And uh, it was really hard for grandpa to, to leave this world because he had nine kids and a ton of us grandkids, and he, he loved his family. And I can remember getting a phone call where we lived in Fort Worth, 
my grandpa was dying, and so we, we drove quickly down to the hill country, and Dad and I went into the room. And I can remember Grandpa looking at Dad from his hospital bed, and he said this, and it's been indelible on my life. He said, son, I've just now figured out how to live, and now it's time to die. I think success is figuring out how to live before it's time to die. I've thought that since I was 14, since I heard my grandpa say that to my dad. Success is knowing how to live before it's time to die. But can you tell me how to get how to get the success street? I can't tell you, but God can tell you. And so we're in this, this really important series that by the time I believe you get through it, and this is, you know, I always talk about series that I have, and I'm always jazzed about them. But I have to tell you, I believe this is one of the most important series that God has ever led me to communicate. Before we get into it today, I do want you to look in the book of Psalms chapter 1, because in Psalms chapter 1, God tells us there is a group of people who have discovered how to be a success. Now listen, the, listen to the extent of their success in Psalm 1 verse 3. They are like trees planted along the riverbank. I'm assuming God's not talking about the Arkansas here. I can remember my first time going down through the Mississippi Delta and seeing those mammoth trees. We're, we're, you, know, you know, we're accustomed to seeing a trunk grow up out of the ground and then it, you know, diffusing into foliage. I remember seeing trees that were just about as big in the root structure as they were in their foliage. And I believe this is what God is talking about. They're like trees planted by a river. You know why the root structure is so big? Those roots grow down into the water, and they pull up that water and the nutrients, and they, these big trees grow. And you know that a storm could come through there. It's not going to bother that tree a bit. And God said, there's a group of people that are like trees planted beside water. Look at this. Bearing fruit each season. That means that they, they don't disappoint These are people who live up to expectations. They live up to their destinies. They bear fruit in every season of life. And you know, I want to do that. You know, success is bearing fruit when you're a kid. Success is being productive when you're a teenager. You know, because a lot of people have the idea, well, I'm just going to like screw my life all up while I'm young. And when I get old, I'll start thinking about serious stuff. Not these people. These are like people who are planted by the river of water. And they're sucking up the nutrients and the water. And they're strong. And they're producing at every season in life, in childhood, in teen years, in young adult years, in middle age, and they're still cranking even when they get up in years. And by the way, you do know that when you get older, you're just gonna, it's just going to be more of what you are. You know, if you're a happy person now, you're going to be a happy old person. You know, if you're cranky and mean-spirited now, you're going to be a pain in the backside when you get to be an older person. And, and these people are not like that. They're, like, they're like, like trees planted beside rivers of water, and they're bearing fruit in every season of life. And I love this. Their leaves never wither. It's like they don't ever dry up. They don't ever lose fuel. And then this incredible line that has driven me ever since I've been a little kid. And they prosper in all they do. That is success. Now, I could be talking to somebody here today, and you say, Mark, I am a God follower, but prosper in everything I do? I mess up so much in my life. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't prosperity just coming out ahead? I mean, because here's the deal. You're not going to make every right decision as a, as a kid. You're not going to make every right decision as a teen. We all know that. 
You're not going to make every right decision as a young adult or a middle-aged person. Or, I mean, you're not going to make every right decision as a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad. But what good God does promise here is that you will win, that you will come out ahead. Whatever you do prospers. So who are these people? How do you get in this group of people that God is talking about here where God says they're like trees planted beside rivers of water and they, they bear fruit in every season of life and the weaves, leaves don't dry up and whatever they touch prospers? Well, if you go back to the verse, first verse of the chapter, you see what they don't do. Oh, the joys, verse 1, of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with the mockers. Three things they, do, they don't do. Now, I love the message. How many of you like to, you know, when you read your text out of whatever translation you use, you like to kind of run to the message. It's kind of like a contemporary paraphrase that kind of gets behind our grill and under our hood. I want you to listen to how the message puts this. How well God must like you. You don't hang out at Sin Saloon. You don't slink along Dead End Road. And you don't go to Smart Mouth College. I mean, so if you want to be in that group where God says they're like trees planted beside rivers of water and they don't wither and dry up and they're cranking out fruit in every season of life and whatever they do prospers, God is saying, you know, you can't be at Sin Saloon, you can't slink along Dead End Alley, and you can't go to Smart Mouth College. So what do you do with that? Well, that's what we talked about last week when my talk was brought to you by the letter E. You have to empty the trash. Bag it up, identify it, kick it to the curb, get ready for new possibilities. So we know now what they don't have in their lives, but what do they have in their lives? What is it that is present in the life of people who are successful at everything they touch? Look at this verse, verse 2. But they delight in the law of the Lord. Now, the law of the Lord is a Hebrew expression that means basically the written word of God, the written, what, you, what you and I would call the Bible. They delight in the word of God. Now, what, could I ask you a question this morning? And this is to produce guilt. This is just so all of us will like be real and unscrew the halos and be the people that we really are. What's your attitude toward the Bible? <laughs> I mean, many of us have grown up in America. We have the Bible in bookstores everywhere. A lot of us have three or four copies of the Bible in our house, different translations. We have it on our computers. But what's your attitude toward the Bible? A lot of us, and I'm not making fun of anorexia because this is a serious disease, but a lot of us are like biblical anorexics. We have the Bible in our house, but we just don't eat. We don't, you know, because the Bible says the Word of God is like the bread of life. And when you get into it, it's like eating. But some of us, man, we have the Bible everywhere, but it's a closed book. Others of us are like Bible bulimics. We eat a big meal at church, but we lose it by the time we get home. Here's what the Bible says. The people who are successful, they delight in the Bible. They enjoy it. I mean, it's what they look forward to doing. It's like, wow, I don't have to read my Bible. I get to read my Bible. So what do you delight in? I am convinced that you can draw a straight line between what you and I delight in and whether we're a success or failure in life. And, you know, I always try to be honest with you about my flaws because I'm a flawed guy. You're not listening to a Bible expert or a spiritual guru or a guy who does everything right. I do a lot of things wrong. And I delight in some things that... Well, they're not necessarily bad. It's just that they, they lead like, like, like verse 1 says, they lead to dead ends. I delight, I hate to tell you this, I delight in NFL football. I'm from Texas. I'm from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I grew up loving the Dallas Cowboys. I hope you don't hate me for that. Just please give me a pass because I grew up there. But I love the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, it doesn't matter who they are. As long as they have that star paint on their hat, I'll watch them. 
And I could tell you about games through the years. I could take you back 40 years and tell you about games and players who played for the Dallas Cowboys. But I have to to be honest with you, a lot of times that delight in my life has led to a dead end like it probably will this afternoon. (laughs) What do you delight in? A lot of us delight in shopping, a lot of us delight in clothes, a lot of us delight in cars, we delight in, in music, we delight in hobbies, we delight in money, we delight in recognition of our peers. But do you delight in the Word of God? Because the Bible says the people who are successful, who are in that group that whatever they touch prospers, these are people who delight in the law of the Lord and they meditate on it. Now, I'm a Westerner. I'm from, you know, the moment you say meditation to me, I'm totally freaked. Because in my mind, I'm seeing a guy in a saffron robe in a lotus position going, hmm, and that's not for me. In fact, I've talked to people who who do meditation. They say, I just make my mind a blank. And that's the very opposite of what God wants you to do. Meditation is focused thinking on what God has to say. It's like I read it and I'm saying, wow, that's really, really true. And that really applies to my life. And I'm just going to think about that for a while. God's, it's just simply that. The I that we're going to talk about today, because my talk is brought to you by the letter I, the I is invite God into your day. You say, well, Mark, I, I, God hasn't called me. I mean, I, I, my secretary has to say thing about God being out there in the waiting room ready to talk to me. And how can I invite God into my, into my life? Well, let me just show you a text of Scripture, because a lot of people have the idea that the Bible was just written by some guys who sat down and wrote some things down. But listen to what the Bible says. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, this is Peter talking. He said, we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. So what do you have if you hold a Bible in your lap today? You hold God's Word. God's Word is so close to His own personality that when Jesus came into our world in the Gospel of John chapter 1, here is what the Bible says about Jesus. The Bible calls Him the Word. The Word became flesh. When you open the Bible, you are reading God's personal Word. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15, the Bible says this, and this is the message again, there's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every part of scripture is God breathed. Now, you may have heard a minister or a teacher talk about the Bible and say the Bible is inspired. What do they mean by that? Do they mean that a prophet sat down and got somebody to play the harp and they just got in the right mood and said, oh, I feel inspired, so I'm going to write something down. That's not what inspiration means in the Bible. The word inspiration, when the Bible says the Bible is inspired, comes from two Greek words, theo and pneuma, God breathed. That's that's the description of how you got the Bible. God breathed it out, and men wrote down what God breathed. Now, let me read that one more time. Verse 15, there's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful in one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Now, before I read the next line, let me ask you a question, and I think I know the answer to it. Do you ever feel life, life takes you apart sometimes? Man, I feel that way. 
I mean, I can have the kind of day sometimes where I feel like I have just been disassembled. (laughs) And I'm lying in pieces on on the ground at the end of the day. Listen to what the Bible says about the Bible. Through the Word of God, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks that God has for us. When life takes you apart, this book will put you back together again. I'm talking to some of you here today, and you say, Mark, I don't think God would ever have anything to do with me again because I have so screwed my life up. Friend, let me just tell you, that you, are, you are who God's looking for. God is looking for you because through his word, he can put you back together again, and he can mold and shape you for tasks that God has for you that will blow your mind. That's why at New Spring Church, At the beginning of 2008, we're going through something called Odyssey 08. And what we're doing, if you're new to New Spring today, is we're going to go as a church through the Bible. I mean, this is what you do at home, but we're we're reading through the entire Bible in one year using the one-year Bible. And a lot of you are already into this. Others of you, this will be your first time to hear about this. But it's okay to start because these particular readings are synced up with the calendar. And it starts all the way in Genesis and goes completely through the Bible because you can read through the Bible in a year if you read three chapters a day. That's only about 5 to 15 minutes. And so that's what we're doing. We are inviting God into our day by reading through the Bible every day and using the one-year Bible. Now, I have to tell you something. As I shared with you a few moments ago, there are a lot of areas in my life where I'm still trying to get strong. And I have someone in my family who on this thing about reading through the Bible every day is a lot stronger than I am. And so I would like to invite her out here to help me with the rest of this message. Would you welcome my wife, Mary Alice, please? Um, Mary Alice has read through the Bible and read a lot of scripture every day throughout our marriage. And so... uh, and it's just really good to have you here today, and I know it's been a big part of, of your life, and we have kind of a cool deal going in our house because um, being having attention deficit disorder like I have it to the extent that I have it, I can't sit down and be still. I love to be read to. I'm an auditory learner, and Mary Alice likes to read out loud because it helps her to retain things better. So the, the deal that we have going at our house is Mary Alice reads to me, and I get to listen, and it really works great. But I'd like for you to take just a few moments um, because I tried to explain the one-year Bible, and I failed. I can see the puzzled looks out there. So uh, take a few moments, if you will, and just kind of talk to us about the one-year Bible. Okay. Well, I love the one-year Bible. I discovered it probably about 15 years ago. Um, And as I said earlier, I think I've worn out two or three copies. But the reason I love it so much is, like some of you probably, over the years, I've set out in January to read through my Bible in a year. And I would start off pretty well. Genesis is a very exciting book, and there's a lot of stories there, and I can kind of hang with them and go a little further. You hear, have the Moses story, and then you get in the middle of Leviticus and in the middle of Exodus, and you get bogged down in genealogies and list of different kinds of offerings, and it just, it's not only doesn't seem relevant, but it's hard to read. You ever try to pronounce some of those names? Um, so I would get bogged down and I would get discouraged and generally by the time I got to that point early in the year I'd already given up and so when I discovered the one year Bible one of the things I loved about it was if I hit a genealogy in the Old Testament I give myself permission to scan and then I go into the New Testament because in the one year Bible every day you have a couple of chapters from the Old Testament a chapter two from the New Testament Psalms and Proverbs so even if one part is a little tough sledding, there's another part that's, that's easy to read and you can, can stay on the track better. So do you ever read and like get to the end of it and you say, I don't know if I really got anything out of that today? 
In the one-year Bible, I've never found that to be the case because there's always something there that just reaches out and speaks to my life that day. Hmm. On the other hand, have you ever like gotten into it and it's like, I mean, I don't want to be hyper-spiritual about this, but I mean, have you ever like read it and it's like God just had exactly what you needed for that day? Almost every day. Almost every day. And one of the things I like to do in my Bible is I like to have a pen. I have, Mark knows I have a little stash. And I have my highlighter and my pen. And one of the reasons I like to do that is not only to, you know, mark things that I observe in the text, but sometimes I'll record things that are going on. I remember a few years ago, one of our sons was going through a real crisis in his life. And those scriptures were just what I needed. And I didn't want to forget that moment. So I wrote in the margin, this was the time when our son was going through this hard time and what a uh, blessing it was. That awareness that God was speaking to us through his word. Yeah, because we just talked about this being God's breathed word. You know, when you think about that being sort of corporate, we can say, well, okay, for everybody out here, this is God's word. But, man, it's something else when it's like, you know, God has talked to you directly through his word. Because then it becomes a very intimate thing. The other good thing about the one-year Bible, too, is um, in years past when I would be reading through the Bible, I don't know, like with you uh, guys, but um, maybe there would be sickness or we would travel or something would happen to interrupt the process, and then when I would get, sit down to get back in there, I said, boy, I'm going to have to read 15 or 20 chapters to catch up. <laughs> and that's pretty discouraging. So the one-year Bible is good because you're on time every day. All you have to do is remember what is today, and you're there. Well, that's great because, you know, so many times I feel guilty, you know, and I let guilt kind of like push me further away from that. Uh, but a person doesn't even have to buy a hard, I mean, I know we have the copies out there at New Spring Store. You can get them at the Christian bookstore, but you don't even have to buy a, a hardback copy or even any kind of of a copy of the um, one year Bible because you can actually like get it online. You can get it online. Also, you don't have to buy anything. If you stop by uh, New Spring store, they have the schedule printed out. That's free. You can pick that up with no cost. And then if you go online to our webpage, there's a link that will take you to one year Bible online. You can read the text. You can download the uh, audio file, put it on your iPod, take it to the Y. So there's all kinds of options. We know uh, it's been fun for me because as we talked about earlier, our church has been in this for, for several days now. And so I'm walking up down the halls of New Spring, and, and people stop me, and they'll say, Hey, Mark, I'm reading through Genesis. I have so many questions. And by the way, we are doing something kind of special in Power Lines, which is a Wednesday night kind of family time to get together here at New Spring. Um, the last Wednesday of this month, we're having a Q&A session. So if you read through, while you're reading through the Bible, if you have a question, mark it down, bring it to Q&A, and we'll try to tackle those, and we'll say, I don't know a whole lot. Um, but... I, I have friends who've tried to read the Bible, and then they come up with all these questions like, where did Cain get his wife, and how do I know this, and, and wow, what did, why did God do that back then, he doesn't do it today? And they like get so many questions, it likes, it's like after a while they start pushing away from the Bible and saying, these questions are kind of freaking me, and so maybe I'm not going to read my Bible. The one thing I thought about the other day, we, we, we saw Morales' mom not long ago, and she was like, like a lot of you moms do. It's like she has a lot of pictures and like little by little she's sort of like giving them to us. And so we went to see your mom and she gave us a picture that I know I haven't seen. If I admitted how long it's been, I'd probably start <laughs> admitting my age, so I won't do that. But, but she gave us a picture. And uh, this is Mary Alice and me five or six years ago. Um, <laughs> Notice that we both have less hair, Mary Alice, because she has cut hers, I for different reasons. Uh, I, think, I think we were 17 and 15 when that was made. We were just children. Wow, just children. That was a long time ago. Uh, Mary Alice and I met in high school, 
And I can tell you this, when I, when I first met Morales and, you know, really began to know that I loved her, I was filled with questions. See, here's the deal. A lot of us think that questions, oh man, God doesn't want me to have questions. And some of you may have even been in church where you were told, don't ask those questions around here. I think that's totally wrong. Because here's the deal. If I don't care about somebody, I don't have any questions about them. But the moment I love someone, I'm filled with questions. And it was that way with you. I wanted to know what your favorite color was, what you like to eat, what you like to do, who was your favorite NFL team. Uh, <laughs> I, I just had all kinds of questions. I mean, I, the more I knew you, the more I loved you, the more questions I had. It wasn't like I had fewer questions. And a lot of those questions I've had answered. And a lot of those questions, if I live to be 150, I'll never understand the answer to those. But that's a different thing for another message. And I was delighted to answer those. You know, I didn't feel put upon that you were asking. I, I took that as a compliment that you wanted to know those things. Well, questions deepen relationships, don't they? That's right. And so one of the reasons why I wanted Morales to come out and talk is that Morales here at New Spring heads up a segment of our ministry called Next Step Ministries. Because what happens at New Spring... You know, our, our whole ministry is shaped toward people who are coming in who want to know God and, and many times don't have religious background or may not know much about God. And through the process of what God does here in their lives at New Spring, they come to know Jesus and they embrace him and accept him as Lord and Savior. But taking that next step and knowing where to go next is sometimes a challenge. And this is the department that Mary Alice heads up here at New Spring. And part of what is under your umbrella is something called starting point. And I know you love it and you're passionate about it. And I can never talk about it like you can. But the reason why I'm asking about starting point is that starting point is all about asking questions. Or a lot of it is about asking questions. And there's a freedom. So if you will, take a few moments and talk to us about starting point. Okay. Well, as you said, I am passionate about Starting Point. Starting Point is a fairly new ministry here. We've been going about a year and a half. And um, what it is, it's a small group environment with 10 to 15 people. We meet over in the student center. Um, There are special rooms that have been created for Starting Point that are very comfortable. It's a living room type environment. There's soft sofas and chairs and ottomans, and we just really get comfortable. And we, um, we ask questions. Questions are welcome. In fact, questions are encouraged. And we, we tackle some of those questions that maybe were taboo maybe where you were, or maybe it's a question that you ask as a child and, and you just didn't feel the courage to really come out in public and ask it. For instance, the, one of the first questions we tackle the first week is, does God even exist? Why would we believe that? What, what are we basing that on? Uh, but in starting point, we have a little conversation guide we follow for 10 weeks. We meet together for about an hour each week, and we just talk through some of these things. There's also a media kit that goes with it. There's some CDs to listen to. Um, even if you don't come to Starting Point, I would encourage you to get hold of those CDs. They are very thought-provoking. Um, anyway, it's an awesome environment. Every question is welcomed. Doesn't, we don't promise every answer, but I believe you'll walk out of that room with a better understanding than you came in with on a lot of these big questions. So we, we do um, that every weekend during the service times. We're meeting on Saturday night. Right now there are uh, five groups, I think, in session. Um, we meet during the service time so that we can provide child care. So Saturday night at 6, Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11. We're getting ready to start some new groups, though, uh, in February. So if you're interested in starting point, today is a great day to let us know. On the back of your bulletin in this little green area at the bottom, there's some white uh, print that gives you an option to indicate an interest in particular areas. And if you'll mark starting point, I will contact you this week, and we'll see if, if there's a uh, time that will work with your schedule to get you involved in starting point. Wow. So... Let's just say that I'm, I don't even know if I believe in God or not. Is it okay if I come to starting point? This is starting point is for you. Is somebody going to make fun of me if I say, how no. do I know there's a God? No, 
No, there is no one. There is no question that will make you that anybody's going to, uh, you know, pounce on you because how dare you? We're all we're all on even ground. Everyone's opinion is respected. Everybody's encouraged to put their two cents in, and and everybody is going to feel valued there. So suppose I went to church and I came to know Christ, and it's like I've been there for a long time, but I'm still missing some like elements in the in the basics. Is it okay if I sign up? That's the place for you. Suppose I'm senior pastor of a thriving, fast-growing Wichita church. No, sorry. <laughs> That's where we draw the line. <laughs> you know, by one of the things that we talk about a lot, and both of us were very fortunate. We grew up in, in great homes, and we grew up in, in traditional churches, and we learned a lot. But, you know, we've talked about a lot that people have sometimes misconceptions about the Bible that cause them to hold the Bible at arm's length. Sometimes I think it's just because they've used an old translation that they couldn't get anything out of, right. you know. But do you, in starting point, do you like every once in a while feel that, you know, there's a great joy when we like move out of these misconceptions and truly understand what the Bible actually is? That is exactly right. And, and probably about the second or third week in starting point, we talk about the Bible and kind of where it came from and why it's relevant to us today. But one of the things as we discuss around the room, we talk about what, what role did the Bible play in, in your life growing up? What was your conception of the Bible? And there have been a few things that have been repeated over and over and over. So um, one of the things that I've found that people have a, a misconception about the Bible is they think of it as a rule book. Now, nobody wakes up in the morning wanting to read three chapters of a rule book. Um, if you read rules, it's just going to make you feel guilt and shame and, and rejection. Uh, but a lot of people think of the Bible. They just think of the Ten Commandments. And that's what, if, if they were going to go to the Bible, that's what they would expect to find are a lot of rules. Um, then there's another misconception that comes out a lot because, um, you know, the Bible does have a lot of pretty incredible stories. Jonah and the well, Noah and the ark, um, a lot of those. So a lot of people think of the Bible as just a book of fairy tales. Uh, fanciful, fanciful stories, and maybe there is some truth in there somewhere, but I don't really know how to sort it out. So it's really, it, it might be good for children's stories, but it isn't really relevant to me. Um, unfortunately, that keeps a lot of people away from the Bible. And what's really sad about that is the truth about the Bible is what it really is: is it's a love message to you from your Father. It's actually a very personal message, and. This illustration reminds me of a story that I like to tell. This is a very personal story for me. Um, I grew up in a, in a very loving home. I have my mom and dad and three older sisters. And um, in that environment, my dad is a great dad. He always provided for us. But his personality was such that he's he really very reserved. And so as I was growing up as a little girl, I didn't crawl on his lap and snuggle. I didn't get hugs and kisses. I didn't hear from him, I love you, or don't you look pretty today? I just didn't ever get that information. I didn't question his love. I knew that he, he provided for us. Uh, he loved my mom. He, they've been married for over 60 years now. So he was a wonderful dad, but I didn't feel that demonstrative love, that affection that many uh, daughters would feel from their father. So some years ago, um, I was very astonished when my mother called me in the summer and asked me if I'd received a birthday card uh, from my dad. And I automatically kind of retranslated that because over the years I would get gifts or cards from my parents and it'd always say, love mom and dad. Well, I knew what that meant. That meant mother went and got the card or mother went and got the gift and she signed, you know, mom and dad. So I just translated that and, and I remember as we were talking on the phone, I said, you know, I don't remember getting a card from you this year. And she said, well, actually, it wasn't for me. It was from your dad. 
So she really had my attention, and I said, really? Well, I, I don't remember seeing it. She said, well, let me tell you the story. She said, he, at this time, I've got to tell you, at this point, my dad had had a stroke, and he was in an assisted living facility, and he, his stroke had left him paralyzed. So the right side of his body is paralyzed, and he was in a care facility. My mom was still at home at that time. And he called her and said, Mary Alice's birthday's coming up, and I want to send her a card. So mother said, okay. She went to the stash in her closet, was rooting through the cards and trying to find a birthday card. And she said, I really couldn't find a birthday card. But I found kind of a generic card. It was blank on the inside. So I took it down to the place where he was staying. And I got a pen out. And I sat down in the chair beside his bed. And I said, what do you want me to write? And he said, no, I want to write it. So although he's paralyzed, he had my mom put the card there in the tray in front of him, had a pen in his left hand. And he wrote himself a message to me, the only message I'd ever gotten from him in my whole life. And so as I'm talking to my mom on the phone, I'm really anxious to uh, hang up because I want to go look. I, I had already kind of piled my birthday cards from that year in a little stack. And, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I, I think I remember a card that was from a child. I thought it was from a child because I couldn't quite make it out. And sometimes we do get messages from a, someone, a child will write us a note or send us a card. So I just assumed that's what it was. So I went through and dug through the stack, and I brought the card with me today. Because as you can see, it really is just a generic card. It doesn't say happy birthday. It's just a picture of a, a bird. And on the inside, there's a message from my dad. It's kind of hard to make out because he had a hard time writing it, but it says, happy birthday, love dad. Now, that's a very simple message, but you might notice, although it's about seven years old, this card, I still have it. It's laminated. I keep it on my desk so that I see it every day. It's special to me because it was a personal love message to me from my dad. And I wish I could communicate to you today the, the parallel that your Bible is really a very personal love message to you from your dad. You know, just last week in Starting Point, the group that I was leading at 930, we talked about uh, one of our questions was, if, if God did create the world, the universe, and think about the, the magnitude of what he created, and if he really is holding it all together, do you think he really cares about the everyday events in your life? Does he really, is he able to focus in on you personally? You know, as we went around the room, most people were in agreement with each other. They said, you know, probably not, because that's, that's a really big God. He's got a really big job, and I don't really think, you know, maybe he cares about big things, but I don't really think he cares about the little things. But as we talked about what the Bible says, you know, the Bible says that God knows when we stand up and when we sit down. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows about what we're going to say and think even before we say or think it. So he really does know and care about even the smallest details in our life. And as Mark said earlier, this is a supernatural book. It's a supernatural message that God has sent to each one of us, not just a group, but individually. That's one of the things that makes it supernatural. Um, one of the things that we need to understand is that there is, although there are many characters, many stories, many events in this book, there really is only one story, and that story is that God sent his son to rescue us from our sinful condition so that we could have a relationship with him and live with him forever. That really is the story of this book. And as we go through starting point, we see how that all fits together. If you would, would you bow your heads this morning for just a moment as we think about this book and what it means to each of us individually? I hope that each one of you here has had a moment in your life when you've realized that this is the love message to you from your Heavenly Father, and that what he's saying to you is, I know you, I know all your failures, but I still love you, and I sent my son so that you could have a relationship with me and that you could live with me forever. 
And if you haven't already, I want to invite you this morning to pray a simple prayer and ask Jesus to be your Savior and to make you his child and accept this love message from your Father. If this is the moment that you want to do this, I ask you to pray these words after me or in your own words. It's what's in your heart that matters. Dear God, I come to you today knowing that I have failed. I've fallen short of the things that you've told me in your word. But I don't know how to fix it except to come to you this morning, Lord, in simple faith. I'm asking you to forgive me, and I want to accept Jesus as my personal Savior and ask you to make me your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed with Mary Alice today, if you asked Christ into your heart and life, would you just take your worship folder out for just a moment? We have a gift we want to give you to help you take your first steps in following Jesus. There's part of your worship folder that's detachable. All you need to do is just put your name and address on there and check the box and say, I prayed to receive Christ. We have a, a packet that we want to give you. It's just a great little zip-up packet with some DVDs and wonderful information that will help you know how to take your first steps in following Jesus. And it's a gift to you. It won't cost you anything. We just want an opportunity to mail it to you. If you prayed to receive Christ today, you can just fill this card out. Check the box, I prayed to receive Christ. You can leave it in the offering plate or the, some boxes by the back doors or the bottom of the staircases. Or if you're like me, as Mary Alice knows, and you don't like to wait for anything, you can just detach it, bring it straight back to New Spring Store or guest services, and just give them the card and say, I prayed to receive Christ today. That's all you have to say, and they'll give it to you today, and you can take it home with you. We're so glad you're here. It's been a great time talking about how wonderful the Bible is. And, uh, you know, you've heard some wonderful truths today, but you're about to hear some more in a song. Listen to the song and just check out the lyrics and see if they don't tell your story like it tells mine. Emotional, trying to hear a new word from God, and I think it's very odd. While I attempt to help myself, my Bible sits upon the shelf of every promise I could ever need. And the word was, and the word is, and the word will be. persecuted but not abandoned we are no 
The way I read my Bible, well, I don't actually read my Bible, I actually listen to it. Um, I subscribe to an audio podcast that uh, gets each day's segment gets downloaded on my computer and my phone. And uh, if I'm at my computer, I'll, I'll listen to it there. You know, or if, um, if I'm out and about, if I'm driving, I'll listen to it while I'm driving. Or sometimes if I'm at lunch, I'll listen to it there on my phone. And we read a chapter each night or two chapters each night. Every night I read a chapter of some book I'm interested in or just one of my favorite books. I read my Bible. I get in my pajamas and I crawl up in my bed and I get my word and I spend a few minutes in prayer with God. And sometimes I highlight and take notes and sometimes I just let it absorb into my heart. Um, it's probably some of the best time I ever get to have one-on-one without interruptions. I read usually a chapter a day, maybe more if I feel like it, but and I usually read it at the computer table or outside on my porch. When I come to the time of day when I read my Bible, it varies. Sometimes it's in the morning and sometimes it's in the evening. Either way, I always start with the word of prayer. When I read the Bible, I like to pick a book and then read three chapters a day until I'm done with the book. I will read some from the Old and New Testament every day. How I read my Bible? I start out left to right, top to bottom, front to back, usually. I also read over breakfast, and um, I kind of let God do the highlighting. A little oatmeal on one page, maybe a little ketchup on the next, and then I can flip back through. I haven't quite figured out what he's trying to tell me when the pages stick together, though. Junior Frazzle, a heavy joke for you. Uh, okay. Let's hear it, Iggy. Gee, okay, here goes. Knock, knock. Uh, who's there? Iguana. Iguana who? 
I want to read my Bible every day this year. <laughs> That's funny. And, and Meek wanna gonna read my Bible every day too. <laughs> that was so weak.